the goals of anyone who's running a company is to make sure that those who are following the directions that I'm given, that they understand enough about what's going on or they're learning enough that if I have to roll out, they can take over. And that just makes the company, the business, all that much better, right? Welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of wholesaling and house flipping businesses. The systems and automation that we discuss will help you build a real business instead of another job for yourself. From beginners to those doing hundreds of thousands a year, we go deep into the details and strategies that are working today. And now your host, Bill Allen. Hey everybody, welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen and I've got another special guest that's outside of the real estate world for you. I know, you guys know I've been doing this leadership series recently and we just came off a podcast with Mike Simmons talking about the couple CEOs that or COOs that he's hired and, and haven't gone well. So we did this kind of like uh, Mike, Mike Simmons, who all you guys know as this incredible investor who's had some struggles in this area of, of bringing on a leader and things like that. And then my dad before that, who's obviously way outside of the real estate world, Jocko Willink, things like that. So today I've got another uh, guest of mine who is somebody who I know really well and has been in my world from a leadership and mentor side and uh, not in the real estate world, but in the military world. So um, I've got... Uh, Captain uh, retired Greg Sheehan. Hey, Greg, how are you? I'm doing well, Bill. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, man. Good to Absol- see you. Again. Absolutely, it's good to see you. So let me give you guys some background on this. At, at Flip Hacking Live, we talked about building your core values and the people that have molded you and developed you into who you are, and kind of who've who've made you the person that you that you are. And when I sat down a couple of years ago and wrote down these three people, I had three. Somebody asked me to write down three people that have changed me and molded me into who I am. One was my dad, who you guys met on the last podcast. And if you're at Philip Packing Live, you met him in person. I told a long story about him and, and everything. And then I had Andy McFarland, who all of you guys know is another real estate investor and a lot of your mentors. And the third one was, was Greg, Greg Sheehan. So my, my old commanding officer. So Nate and I were sitting, Nate, my COO, and I were sitting there and he said, you know, it'd be an awesome thing for you to do on the podcast is to bring some of these people onto the podcast who have kind of molded you into who you are and some of your leadership aspects and talk through some of that and, and maybe where they got some of their values, their core values and their leadership aside from too, that maybe will translate to everybody else in business and everybody that listens. So I wanted, I reached out to Greg, I asked him to, and by the way, this is like the first time that I've ever called him Greg. It was always skipper. It was always commander when I knew him and then captain and, um, and sir, it's almost always sir. So um, it's kind of cool to have this podcast. We're both out of the military now, at least right now. I'm I'm wearing civilian clothes and uh, and not not drilling. So um, calling you Greg is definitely an honor. It's it's a new thing for me. It feels kind of weird. So um, so so real quick, I just want to tell everybody a little bit of story. So to give them like a frame of reference of where we start. So sure. I, I went through flight school. I got my wings. I went out, I, I got my wings, a helicopter pilot down in uh, Pensacola, Florida. And then I went out to San Diego. We go through the, what's called the FRS. We used to call it the RAG. And um, we, we learn how to fly our, our fleet aircraft. And for me, that was the MH60 Sierra. So, and and for you, Greg, it was the 46 moving to the 60 Sierra. So, um, so there was a new helicopter at the time, fairly new, and we started up a brand new squadron at, at HSC 23. And we had our commanding officer was uh, Commander Weisenfels, Bob Weisenfels at the time, and, and Greg was the XO. 
So what we have is we have a commanding officer in these squadrons and we have an executive officer. And then the executive officer fleets up to the commanding officer about a year and a half later. The, the CO leaves, the XO comes up and becomes the CO. And that's the kind of cycle and transition that happens. Um, what I, so we started this new squadron in San Diego. It was called HSC-23, the wild cards. It was probably the most fun place that I've ever been, by the way. And that was not, that was by design. It was not, uh, it was, it wasn't random. It was the fact that these two leaders that started, we stood up this squadron from scratch. They took these helicopters, took this old hangar. Um, we just happened to be right across from the officer's club, the, the bar, you know, the I bar at the, it was just yeah. perfect. And <laughs> And we had all of these kind of uh, senior lieutenants that would come that came over to to help with this squadron yeah. startup, and we just had some phenomenal people. And and from my aspect, and, and I'll let you jump in in a second, Greg, about like what you guys were doing as, as from the front office. But the front office for you guys who haven't been in the military, these are like the senior of the senior officers. This is like the peak of the peak. Becoming a commanding officer is one of the hardest things to do in the military. My dad talked about it when he was in the reserves, becoming a commanding officer of, of a reserve detachment and being a really big for him. Um, I'm, I, I just made 05, but I'd probably never be a commanding officer even of the, uh, the reserve unit that I, that I run unless it's that's something that you actually have to make that choice and decide and commit to as a reservist but an active duty commanding officer is pretty much that's the peak there are things past that but if you hit that it's very very small number of people that get to do this so when you're a lieutenant and your first squadron your first corps that commanding officer job seems like it is so far away it's like decades in the future to us and those people are at held at the highest standard in your mind. So I came into this place, this, this squadron, and I had this commanding officer and this executive officer. And then there's a department head under that. And my dad and I kind of talked about the structure. And then underneath the department head is the division officer. So that's kind of where I fit in this junky division officer. And I got this first Lieutenant department when I started. And I remember that. Oh, yeah. um, so, so that's kind of the structure of it, but I'll tell you, just before we get into it, the CEO at that time, Bob Weisenfels, was he? This guy was an Olympic athlete. He was on the Olympic bobsled team. He was yeah. just like an all-around superstar athlete. We would play like football and we'd play baseball, and and he he really kind of was somewhat soft-spoken, but carried that big stick. And he was just a really like sharp guy. And so he commanded this this squadron for a year and a half. And I, the way that a lot of times we look at it in the in the world of the military is the commanding officer kind of um, the executive officer does a lot of the paperwork and people and the commanding officer is kind of like like it's kind of like Nate and me right now like I, I work two hours a week in the squadron I do a lot of the fun stuff I have the parties and things like that and Nate kind of drops the hammer from time to time and he does a lot of the hiring and the paperwork and stuff so that's kind of the mentality as I come in and I get to know you as the executive officer and working with you on some of the things that I had to do, like shirts and coins and hats yeah. and swags and all that stuff. So, um, and I got some funny stories with that, that I screwed up, but, um, so that's kind of the intro to our relationship. And then you becoming the commanding officer after that, which I really, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit, um, when we get okay. there. So, um, I don't know, do you, why don't you tell us a little bit about maybe your background and yourself in the military before this time? 
Certainly. Uh, thanks, Bill. Uh, first of all, I'm uh, very uh, humbling to hear anyone uh, describe you know something you've done in the past in such a uh, in such a, a lofty way. And and yes, I do remember the days of uh, being a young lieutenant like yourself in a squadron, and looking up to those two individuals and thinking, man, that that is not something. Uh, one, I don't think I can do. And two, I'm not sure I want to, you know, and so on. So there's a lot of mixed feelings there. But before I start on me, um, I'd like to uh, just point out to all your listeners, I'm sure many of whom know you personally, and, and say that you, uh, there's no question in my mind that you maybe can still become a SEAL. But I certainly, uh, as you know, Skipper Weissenfels and I um, both thought very highly of you and were super appreciative of what you brought to the squadron, especially since uh, with all your enthusiasm, your willingness to just get things done just like you are today from the sounds of it. Um, that was that was killer, uh, really killer to have. And you also had a, a way of bringing people together. You know, when the warden wasn't quite uh, getting it, I have I feel I have a feeling that you had a couple closed door sessions with. Uh, uh, by the way, the wardroom, for what it's worth, is uh, what we officially call the basically all the officers in the squadron. So if you if you were the officer, an officer, you were part of the wardroom. And Bill, I feel like uh, we called you Ace back then. Uh, maybe you don't want to bring that up, but there's a good reason. Uh, Skipper Weisenfeld's done, uh, W Ace pretty much the first week we stood up the squadron, and it, again it was for good reason. But I have a feeling you uh, really shaped how that wardroom, uh, you know, gelled and blended and kind of got the messages that we were trying to deliver to everyone, and uh, we always appreciate that. So your listeners should know that. But uh, yeah, to give you a little background for those who don't know me. Um, I'm a Merchant Marine Academy graduate. Uh, I'm a Pittsburgher by birth, but I went to New York on Long Island to, and graduated from what I affectionately called the Academy uh, while I was at, in command because I was lucky enough to do so. Um, <clears throat> I was a 46 driver, as Bill mentioned. Bulk of my hours were there. God's aircraft, just a beautiful thing. Uh, vertebrate machine. Uh, and Bill can describe vertebrate for you later. But uh, then I transitioned to the new 60, which was like driving a new Cadillac, smelled like a new car, no kidding. Like, zero hours, uh, very low hours on a lot of these when they came. So much like the people of the squadron uh, at HSC 23 when we stood up, so were the aircraft. I mean, no kidding, fresh off uh, the assembly line. Um, you asked me earlier about well, what I did afterwards, Bill. Um, after I was commanding officer, my family and I were lucky enough to go to Brussels, Belgium, where I worked uh, on the 28-member NATO headquarters and did three years there. It was lovely. You can talk about that if you want. Um, and then finally came back to the Pentagon to work in an N81, which is the basically the analysis branch of the Navy branch in the Pentagon. And I uh, worked three years there, got my master's degree in systems analysis. And then finally to my last tour, which was known as AFPAC hands, which basically meant I was going to either Pakistan or Afghanistan for uh, two of four years, my last uh, four years in. <clears throat> I was, I suppose, lucky enough that I only was over there one year and asked to retire, and that brought me to retirement of 28 years in the Navy. I got out, and now I'm out here in beautiful San Diego, staring out my window at the Pacific Ocean as we talk, um, working in uh, what you call kind of that XO position again, uh, for more or less, where I'm, I'm a deputy to a very technically, uh, an expert here who's building system um, to help us fight certain adversaries, and it is a massive system that requires a lot of technological experts and he's trying to corral all those efforts we're growing very rapidly in terms of personnel and scope of project and uh, he brought me in one of the things and we're discovering our roles my role really as time has gone on over the last year but one of my main roles was like keeping the team focused for him you know making sure that i understand how they're feeling how they're operating are there is their heartburn <clears throat> do i think we're heading in the right direction and uh and 
it's been it's been challenging, but certainly rewarding. So that brings us to uh, you asking me to sit here with you today, Bill, and I thank you for that. That's right, and I, I won't. This is a, a Baltimore Ravens fan against the Pittsburgh Steelers <laughs> fan here too. So that's usually what we talk about when we get back together once a year and send an email or a text message. And I was I was. Yeah, that's right. So far, hey, there's plenty of time for us to screw it up. We, um, yeah, and I got to see you guys in, in Brussels, and yeah. it was amazing. When I went out to test pilot school in England, I was, um, um, I was able to take a trip out to uh, Brussels and just visit you guys and, and uh, you and your wife and your daughter, and it was really great to see that and, and see you guys there. And it's just having a friendly face when you're going somewhere like that that far away is, is really nice in a in a city that I had no idea. And you guys took me to a, an awesome Ethiopian restaurant. We ate yeah, that was I've never done that before. It was so amazing. So, um, so what I want to do, and I I think in my mind, it number one, I want to I want to introduce people to my world, my dad, you, they already know Andy, these kind, and just show them like what it is about you guys that can develop somebody into a leader themselves and that they can then take that and go do it as well. Because for me, the biggest thing for me is I want to figure out how to be that impact person on my staff, on everybody I come in contact with, on my kids, my family, and those kind of things. And really it's, it's, it has developed over time. It's not something necessarily, we might be born with something, but it develops over time with who you are influenced by, who you spend your time with, all of those things. So, so it takes me to leadership. And I think in the military, uh, we were talking about this a little bit before we started the recording is I feel like in the military, we take it for granted sometimes with the experiences that we have or the things that we get to do or the situations that we're put in or the people that we're surrounded by. And we can't really figure it out. It's almost like we just are leaders or we're developed into leaders and we don't really think about actually having to do it. And I think, yes. you know, now that I'm in the real world and we're hiring people from outside the military that don't have service background, a lot of times what I see is there's not that same just kind of, you know that the guy next to you has your back all the time because you, you really have to kind of, they have never been developed that way. Never thought of it that way. They're not taking ownership for what they're doing. They're kind of blaming other people and things like that. Or, you know, so I guess the, the first question I want to ask you is, do you feel like you were always that way, like a leader uh, going through the military and growing up? Or do you feel like it was something that you had to develop and learn over time? It was definitely the latter, Bill. Um, there's no question about it. In, in fact, as I referenced earlier, when you talked about being a young lieutenant and looking up at the uh, the leadership and go, man, that's I just can't imagine myself in that in that position. Uh, that's that's very much what I was. And it was over time that well, one I I feel like you know I'm not a, I'm not a big book reader. I will admit. Right, I've read it a number, um, and I but I pick them up and I get about halfway through them. Generally, I find like, okay, yeah, I got this, or, or I understand, and and I move on to the next thing. But uh, that said, I I if I'm going to give myself any credit at all for you know something, how I learn things, or to if I'm to acknowledge it, I should say, then uh, I think it's I, I like to observe things, and when I observed exactly the details of how those people led, um, and you the names are important, I suppose, and you wouldn't know them, but. I appreciate it. Like when, when someone would do something small, uh, for example, I was walking through a hangar one day uh, where, where our aircraft were. And for those who don't know, you know, static electricity can build up in aircraft just by sitting there basically because they're separated by rubber from, uh, from the, the, um, the grounding where they can be grounded. So essentially we have to have a wire that goes from the aircraft 
to the floor. There's a metal plug on the floor a lot of times. You just make sure they're connected. It had been kicked off, right? Or somebody it was disconnected. And I just happened to be walking through the hangar. I wasn't at all working on the aircraft, but I saw it and I reconnected. It's no big deal, right? And I think 99% of us would probably do that, Bill, in the same situation. But my skipper was up on the uh, up on the rail, as we'll call it, looking down. I didn't see him. And he and he said, hey, nice job. That's, you know, that he acknowledged it right away. And it was just that little thing. And it was, I think it's those little acknowledgement bills. Bill, you mentioned the coin and the plaque you gave to some of your members that had achieved a certain milestone. I mean, it might seem like... Uh, it might seem not as important to you as the person giving it, but I, I guarantee you, when you acknowledge behavior like that, especially the positive stuff publicly, it goes a long way. And I, I think, it's, again, I get back to what I was saying with the observation. I, I saw those things, the things that I liked, I tucked away in my mind, and I tried to emulate those as much as I could, as long as I felt like it was still me, you know, an, a, a genuine thing. Um, and those things that I didn't like, I really try to focus on those. You know, when <laughs> Again, as a young lieutenant, I had a 04 who was, I will say, cheesy. <laughs> Wasn't his call sign, but it could have been. And uh, he would—he was just really demeaning. He really wore his rank on his sleeve, if you know what I mean, uh, both literally and figuratively. And he would—he would let you know where you stood. And I never understood that. I really just never understood that with people. Like, what? What does that gain you? So I try to be careful about that. You know, it, there's a there's a time and place to pull those things out. Um, when, as an XO, as executive officer, as you're describing, you punish people or you at least get them prepared for punishment. That's the place you pull that stuff out, right? Because you have to. Um, but to me, you had to be limited with the distribution of, of that type of, you know, hey, you, you know who you're talking to type thing. You know? I'm, yeah. I'm, the, I'm the boss. You just can't pull that out. People don't respect that. And, they, and I think they instantly lose motivation. So to your question, it, it was a gradual thing. I don't think it was till I was in 05, Bill, that I was like, you know what? That, I think maybe I, I could probably, I'd like to try this thing. You know, this is something I would definitely like to do. Um, and for, it was, I was very lucky to have been selected for sure and uh, be able to work with folks like yourself. Yeah. Does that you give know, you a question? Yeah, it does. And you, you, you pointed out something when you were a junior officer and doing something and you still remember that to this day, where you were probably, probably what it looked like outside, what, what, yeah. what, who else was in the hangar, all this stuff, because that was so impactful for you. And I remember the, the thing that I remember about you being the commanding officer and the executive officer is you were definitely the people's leader. You were the kind of person who people you would praise people on a regular basis. You came up with things to, I mean, you would, you would, you run the races with us. You would, you were throwing in, you were always there pitching in. You're always present. You were having fun. It, it was like you were part, like a lot of times the COs and XOs are separated from the wardroom or they're, yes. they're sitting on a perch, but I never felt like that. And I was like super junior here, guys, if you're listening, like I was, I was one of the junior, junior officers. I, you become more senior, but just barely. I mean, there's, there's department heads above you. You don't sit in the big meetings, those kind of things. So it's like being, it's like being a lead intake person in our company versus being the owner of these companies. So, yeah. but I never felt like you weren't approachable or you weren't given a pat on the back all the time, or you weren't out there. So like, I, I can guarantee that whoever did that, whoever that commanding officer was, you probably remember who it was. And he's, he's saying, great job. Hey, hey, that's what you need to do. That yep. impact just snowballed into a lot of the decisions that you made and, and things because you knew that you felt good. You need to make other people feel good. And so yep. I, always, I always wonder, 
what those people who do, they do just kind of like beat people on the head or they, they like pull their chest out. Like where did they get their, uh, their attitude from or the, the way that they think they carry themselves? Because it, I, I have no idea where that comes from because you do have that. You have these like huge egos in a negative way instead of a positive way and yeah. have the people who just want to be the, the, and look, the military is not all perfect. I mean, even Jocko talked about it. We will talk about it. Yeah. It's, you've got people, you've got all, all, all ranges of people, but, Typically, I would say the the resounding uh, um, majority is some really great people with some really great values and, and yeah. really great leadership skills, and some a little bit better than others because they're the people who are really committed and focused on it. And I think you you have this kind of drive and and you want to succeed. And when you get to that point, you want to bring people with you. And those are the kind okay. of leaders I want. And that's what you were for for me for sure. Is I saw somebody who was the kind of person that I would like, number one, want to grow up with, want to be around, want to uh, have my kids around, want to just spend time with. And that's, that's what I try to figure out how to be too, because of all the influences that I've had. So, because, and I, I brought up, you know, Commander Weisenfels, because I think you guys had very different leadership skills and, and styles, I should say, not skills, but styles. Sure. Sure. And, um, and so when he, and he was a very big like impact player, if you will. So if you think of a sports team, you've got this guy who comes into this squadron who is just stood up and he makes a, a, a big impact on the, the team, the, the group, yeah. the boardroom, the whole community, right? And yep. then this person leaves and that's how it works yep. here for us. So if you can imagine guys that like the, the, the military being like a, a professional sports team and you've got like LeBron James who leaves, right? And so then, it just put it that way, and so then the next person has to step up, right? This executive officer has to step up. Who, who is, who's doing the details, the paperwork, all of these things, the, the disciplinary actions, all that stuff that now has to step up and, and fill that spot. So uh, what I wanted to ask you on this is, was, did you feel like that was a challenge for you or did you feel like you could just be yourself and, and lead the way that you lead, not the way that somebody else led before no, that's a very good question. And I think that for any of us who were, again, fortunate enough to sit in those two seats, if you contemplated them, what you would do before you got there, that was something you thought about. Because you don't want to roll from the executive officer up to the CEO and just say, hey, yeah, that guy was a schmuck, you know. And I don't mean actually saying it, but you don't want to say in your actions either, like, hey, that's the old way of doing things. Because, well, in Skipper Weisenthal's uh, case, Obviously, there wasn't much, in my view, there wasn't much of change. He, as you said, was an impact player. I always recognized him uh, as very good at the long ball, like seeing the long ball. Like he knew, he knew how far to look out to try to shape the squadron and what we'd be doing for a long time. He was, I thought he was really good at that and amongst his many other skills. But uh, with him, I also, had, I also had the benefit, Bill, if you remember, but he, we had stood up or started participating in the air ambulance squadron. And he had, he said he mm -hmm. chose to go over. So I, for a while, uh, for those of you who don't know uh, and are listening, when you're the CEO, you typically use a red pen. That way when someone gets back something that you've written, they know that that's coming from you and that they should basically take that as, you know, that's the ground truth. Um, the XO typically uses a green pen. So again, you'd know it's come from the XO and those two colors were reserved for those individuals. The reason I mentioned it, Bill, is because I, one thing I did the day after uh, Bob went, uh, Skipper Weissenfels went over to the desert to, for his, I think it was three months. I can't remember exactly yeah. anymore. Um, you know, that was a challenge for me because now, not only, I mean, I can't bring, I can't make policy changes in my mind, 
although he gave me the latitude to do so if I felt necessary. He was really good about that, too. Um, that wasn't my intent. You know, this was his squadron. And I wanted to make it clear that it was his, you know, I'm, we're pushing forward his edicts and his um, path forward. So I tried to do something that I thought would resonate with the, with the, uh, with everyone in the squadron. I said, look, you can consider me the XO with a red pen, you know? So I, yes, I'm using the skipper's red pen, but let's not forget while he's over in the desert, he's still running the show. And even though 80% of us of the squadron is still here. Uh, so I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to answer your question, Bill. I, I had that kind of transition period almost. Even though Bob came back and he was a skipper for another year after he got back, I, I kind of had a taste of how that might, what that might be like when, you know, after he rolls out. And now that I would have the reins full on now and be a seal with a red pen, if you will. Um, I didn't, I, I, any changes I thought that I had to make were subtle. I'll say that. So again, I was fortunate, but it was more like, um, first of all, I was dealing with a different team than he was because a lot of you guys had rolled. And as you pointed out earlier, when we stood up, we got kind of, we got a lot of A players because the Navy was wanting to make sure that this thing got up and run fast. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I was one of the exceptions to that rule, but nonetheless, there we were. And some had rolled out and we were kind of more in the normal, uh, as you would say, rotation, um, less selective with who we were picking. And, you know, so the dynamic through from top to bottom of the squadron had changed too. So, um, we were now not new anymore in the in the wings eyes in our boss's eyes, and uh, I think for me, you know, he, Bob made that kind of easy. That said, I did put a lot of thought of him into it before I was there, and and to me, that's the key is contemplating things, Bill. You know how busy we were. You know how busy you are now. I don't think in in many successful businesses, especially with COOs, you know, the C C suite, if you will. And those who kind of set the mentality and set the policy and do a lot of that, I, I suggest we should do more of this, sitting down and thinking and talking about it, as opposed to just rolling in and kind of seeing how it happens. And I'm not sure that that means reading a lot of books necessarily. I think it's no kidding, like just contemplating, oh, what am I going to do when I have a problem? You know, who am I going to lean on? Do I know who my players are, the people that I can trust implicitly? <clears throat> when, excuse me, when I need to, or, or those, for example, you remember our master chief, uh, maintenance master chief. Uh, every maintenance master chief in the Navy is long in a tooth, right? They've been around twice as long as any skipper, at least it seems that way to everyone, and they carry a certain weight about them too. And um, he, I, I think it's safe to say in, uh, in this forum, even if the both of them listen, he and our um, command master chief, um, they didn't see eye to eye on everything, right, on how you know, the enlisted community in our squadron should be handled, run, and so on. And that was okay. You know, that, that happens. Um, but under, for me, it was mostly understanding those real influential leaderships, my department heads, young lieutenants like yourself that were difference makers, and ma making sure that they knew that, uh, as you say, they could always come in the door and always tell me if there's a problem. I try to make that evident. Um, and I also try to make myself dispensable, right? To me, that should be one of the goals of many of almost any, anyone who's running a company or any leader is, hey, look, man, I need to make sure that those who are under my tutelage, for lack of a better word, or, under, or following the directions that I'm given, that they understand enough about what's going on or they're learning enough that if, if something happens, God forbid I'm hit by a bus or I have to roll out, that they can take over. I mean, and that just makes the company, it makes the squadron, it makes the business all that much better, right? You can you have like a deep trust that that doesn't matter what happens to leadership, things will keep going, and you're gonna get the big ticket things right. So when I rolled in as skipper, 
I, I feel like I'm answering your question. I hope I'm getting to it. That was my thought is how do I make sure that that keeps rolling no matter what, that that mentality is, is deep in the squadron. Yeah. Yeah. I got about four pages of notes here. I, I hope you guys are listening to that right there. Cause there's, so, there was so much gold in there and I, like really the, so I remember the maintenance master chief because when I became the assistant operations officer, so I, I was at the squadron the whole time that commander Weisenfels and you, you actually, you left and then I was still there and I, we rolled out after. So, um, I remember I was the assistant operations officer and I had to deal with that all the time. And yeah. it, it's, it's usually operations versus maintenance in these squadrons. So the maintenance department is responsible for having the aircraft up and ready. And the operations department basically says, Hey, there's all this fun stuff coming down the pipeline. We want to take it. We want to do it. We want to do it. But uh, are our aircraft going to be ready? Are you going to have the aircraft out of phase and, and ready to fly for us? Because all we wanted to do was fly. We're pilots. That's, that's the that's fun right. stuff for us. Right. And it, when there's an eight hour <laughs> vertical replenishment going on up the road, uh, we're, yeah, we're all over it, you know? Yeah. And then to go down and the maintenance master chief is yelling at me because he doesn't have the assets for it. And I say, give me the assets. So, but you're right. The di- that, that dynamic is so important with, and for those of you guys who have no idea what we're talking about, it's probably most of you, but it's, it, there's an enlisted and an officer world out there in the military. And, and a lot of times, one thing that you said, you kind of joked about yourself and that's just the humbleness of you. And we have to be humble in, in business and in this industry too, in, in the military, because I remember when I showed up and I'm, I'm a wet behind the ears. I was Lieutenant JG at the time. So an O2 and I, I showed up and you got a chief who is in your division. So I was a division officer and I had a chief. Well, I actually had a first class. So my, that first Lieutenant division was a first class AO one Martinez. I still remember him. He's a fantastic, yeah. phenomenal guy. And he, he, he was just a chief that couldn't pass the exam is who he was. He, he had been in the military yeah. for so long and he had so much knowledge and I had to treat him with respect because he knew way more than me. And if I came in there, like you said, that officer who's got the chip on his shoulder and wears his, his rank on his sleeve and tells him to call me sir and snap to attention every time I, like, you can't do business that way. And it's the same thing. We were just talking about the CEO-COO relationship on this podcast last, you know, a couple of days ago with Mike. You can't come in as the COO of a new company who's been around running for a couple of years and just yeah. say, hey, we're doing it this new way. This is my way. Get, get in line or get out. You know, you've got to understand the people. You've got to understand the process. You've got to get to know the company a little bit. So you've got to have a little bit, you've got to be a humble leader. You know, you got to come in and you got to say, I, there's a ton that I can learn from you. Yes, I'm going to have to make some decisions. I'm going to have to do these things. And I saw you do that. I saw you come in. And what I wrote down is it, when, when you were talking there is it wasn't about you. You said, make myself dispensable, replaceable, all those things. Yeah. Like it's not, you never, you never took the credit for things that went right. It was all of, it was the team. It was, it was all about the team. It was about the wardroom. All the credit was given to them. And I take a lot of that myself too, for my staff and my team is yeah. I'm responsible for when things go wrong, but when things go right, it's all you guys. And if we can figure out how to make sure that they feel that way, and then they do that same thing in their position. And yeah. that's kind of that extreme ownership concept that we've been talking mm. about a lot that we run our company by, but I, I work two hours a week in that business and they, they are out there doing it on a regular basis. Just like, you know, sometimes you, you had to give up the good deal flight so that Lieutenant could have it. And even though you really wanted to do the ammo on load, yeah. but you got to say, Hey, uh, you know, it's, that's your, it's your guy's time to fly. It's your guy's time to do that. And, and it's not, it's not me. The, the person who's up there in the front office going, Hey, 
take him off of there and put me on. I want to fly that. And, and yeah. I want to do this. And that's, that's a totally different leader than, than what, what I saw you do. So and I, I knew the dynamic was, it, it, it was such a great squadron and a great time to be there that it, you guys did a really good job in the transition. Nothing really changed. You, it was all about the staff and the team and the, and the, and the, the ward room and yeah. the guys. It was all about them. We had a lot of fun. You guys made it fun and a place that people wanted to be around and hang out. I mean, yeah. we took a trip to Las Vegas <laughs> every year. To, right. on, a, on a party bus and did a dining. Yep. I mean, it is, we did some amazing stuff during that time that the most of the Navy, it was a time in the Navy where people weren't doing that stuff. It was yeah. like a post yeah. hook. It was a problem. It was all this stuff going on. And we were still, you know, having some fun and doing it right. And yeah. we had cowboy hats. We wore cowboy hats around with Calvary. our flight suits on. Yeah, Calvary yeah. cowboy hats, like the old Army Air Corps. It's just amazing <laughs> stuff and these traditions that were that were built during this time that are still going on right now. I mean, I'm, I'm at the VTs as a, a you know, 05 select and I've got this Lieutenant coming back from the fleet. Who's at HSC 23 talking about that stuff. So cool. it's really cool to see that like the stable is still there and it's all set up. So, you know, just th those kind of things. And I'm trying to do that same thing in my company. And if guys, if, if, if any of you are listening going, what the heck are these guys talking about? It's, it's, this is way too military for me. The, it, the, the concept here transcends everything that we're talking about. And for me, it's about the culture that you're building inside of your company. And it's the culture that you're building inside of your family and your group of friends and, and whatever it is that you're doing, your church group, you know, it's that culture of, of, of what you're facilitating and what you're allowing inside your organization that is going to go like wildfire through there. If it's good, the results are going to be great. If it's bad, the results are going to be poor. Yeah. And I would say, Bill, so there's, there's a lot that you just wrapped up there too. And I think uh, we, I'm going to go back to the maintenance master chief a little bit. And again, just for perspective, this is the guy who runs maintenance on the aircraft. And yes, when I would go in there as XOCO, whatever, and you would go in there or ops would go in there and say, I need more aircraft. Um, you'd get pushback from that guy most of the time, but I can guarantee you too. And this is important. I think I can guarantee you that while, the, while we, those of us going in there saying, I need more aircraft, you know, this translates to a lot, I think, in your business. I need more houses on it, or I need to flip more, or whatever. Um, he had the perspective and the heart and the, and the pulse of the maintainers that he was, that he owned. You know, because he, he basically, well, the skipper owns everyone, of course, so to speak. The maintenance master chief is in charge of making sure that aircraft look correct on paper and that, and that, that paper actually reflects reality. So the inspections are done properly and that we're not, as we call, gun decking or uh, pencil whipping inspections just so we can get aircraft out there to do the job. You know, this is the integrity piece that I think I've heard you mention a couple of times. Mm -hmm. he, that maintenance master chief, I think, I can't think of one that I met in my career that would ever, that would be okay with anything being pencil whipped, regardless of how good it might make him or her look, right? It, they just wouldn't do that because they recognized how important it was to put a safe aircraft on the line and they weren't going to, you know, let their pride get in the way when it came to saying, Hey, we have 10 aircraft available of our 11 and you can use all 10 skipper or opso. Um, they would say, no, we can't do it. No, I need another four hours or whatever. They would, they would tell you that that was ingrained in, in that uh, particular group of individuals as far as I was concerned. And that, and that's important, Bill. And I bring it up because 
when you hear no sometimes from those who, you know, you, you want to hear that no, right? And I think we all recognize that. You want to hear that no. And the way, you know, if you have that driving personality we were talking about before, the, the leader in whatever position comes in and says, where the hell am I filling the blank? Aircraft in our case. And, and there's so much pressure that it, that might force someone to come off of their values and their belief system to say, yes, if they're available, that's dangerous, you know? And you're, in your world, in our world now, I guess, or your world now, it means bottom line, right? But bottom line isn't always the bottom line. It has to be about your people and what they're willing and able to do. And you've got to understand that your team sometimes need a little more time or a little more learning or a little more guidance before they can get to exactly where you need them to be. And you got to be able to trust that master chief in whatever scenario we're talking about here. I, anyway, I just thought that was. No, uh, you're important. you're exactly right. It's that it's that safety side in the in the in the Navy. What we were doing is this is kind of life or death stuff, right? Uh, flying heavy machinery, aircraft, uh, close to the water, doing all the things in dangerous LZs and and brownout yeah. landings and all the stuff that we're doing. Uh, flying medevacs there out in the air ambulance detachment and things, and out on the ship, and even training at home. And then you've got you've got this this pressure to yeah. to to perform to do the things that you think that the CO needs you to do and be, and also be able to stand there in the fire as that master chief and say, sorry, sorry, skipper, I can't do it. You know, or, or at least he's probably pushing back. I I saw he was, he was a phenomenal guy. I mean, he would push back on the surface right in front of your face. You'll go away. He'll figure out how to get it done. And then he'll call me and say, okay, we can do this. We can, we can, we can do it. But and he's protecting his people too, right? Exactly. I mean, he's, he's the shit. He's the screen for you know for for. I mean, he's the screen for for that, and that's again, that's what you want them to do. So maybe it comes down, to, Bill, to uh, you know, you wherever you place someone in your organization, that you that as a as a leader, you have to understand exactly what role you want them to fill. And sometimes when you hear no from them, it may be frustrating, but you've you need them to be able to do that. And you have to understand that they're saying no for the right reasons, you know? Um, yeah, that's exactly I right. Imagine, I imagine this is painfully obvious for most of your listeners in the business you're all in, but, uh, but it's worth pointing out. Or emphasizing it's, it's not, it's not, <laughs> you know, it's funny because all of this stuff that seems so obvious is, is sometimes it's just not packaged correctly or it's, I, I, I relate it to kind of putting a puzzle together a lot of times here on the podcast or when I'm talking to anybody, it's like, we have all the pieces, but we just don't necessarily know exactly how it goes together sometimes. Sure. And when you can look back and say, Oh yeah, I've always been a great leader or you, you don't even know, like until someone yeah. like holds up the mirror and says, like, we have this conversation and you probably, we've never necessarily talked like this and, and the impact that you have on somebody else, you might have no idea how, how big that impact was or what it was about what they were doing. Or, uh, the, I mean, the main dispatcher chief listens to this. He's, he's going to hear some things that's like, Whoa, I had no idea that, you know, they, people are still talking about me and thinking about it this way. And it's, it can relate to business big time. Uh, you know, in that, in the interview I did with Jocko, I'll just go back to that as another military guy. He talked about the, his, their four laws of combat just being so, so common sense that it's just about packaging these four things together. Yeah. This kind of concept of, and just putting words to it. Like, it's an innate, like it's prior- an innate thing for SEALs prioritize and execute is, it's so obvious when you say, of course you need to prioritize and execute, but yeah. now that there's, there's words to it and you hear it and okay, I just tell my staff now you need to prioritize and execute on what you're doing. But before it was like, why can't this person just figure out which, yeah. which one of these 
things need to be done first. And then, and then when things change, move something up, up in the stack. I mean, I can figure that out. Why can't they? And there wasn't a name for it. Right. So for us, it's, it's, it seems obvious now that we talk about it, but you know, anybody who's in business right now who hasn't gone through this or seen this kind of dynamic and concept and, and then even breaking it down play by play and saying, you know, because when I was preparing for this, I really thought about that transition from Commander Weisenfels and you, because you're two very different leaders, I think, two very different styles, at least, of how you, how you carry yourself and lead. And they both, they both were very, very successful in very different ways with the same team, which yeah. is really hard to do because I think it came down to culture and rapport and like really just caring about your people. Because sure. if either one of you were really, really cared about yourselves first, it would have been a totally different dynamic. The, the people wouldn't have gotten behind you. And that's what it's all about, I think, is if you, you got a good team that was ready to, to do great things, and all you have to do as a leader is get them to rally behind you and then let them do their unique abilities, let them execute on what they're supposed to do, and then just guide them in the right direction from time to time. And sure. If you, if you could just give them that little nudge when they're off course a little bit, the, yeah. the workload that you have is so much easier than trying to do it all by yourself because you alienated yourself and your team. So sure. I think that's the biggest thing for us as leaders is to figure out like how we make sure that our team and our staff and in, in this business, it's our, it's our staff. And, and I look at my team, I look at them as a team, it's not my family. It's not, it's a high performing team right. is the yeah, way I look yeah. at it. And Sorry, I gotta put my phone in. that's all right. That's all right. And, and for me, it's about figuring out how to really get their buy-in. So like, I, I remember, so Andy McFarland, I mentioned him yep. when, when I was getting going and I joined this mastermind group and he was my mentor and, and leader inside of this mastermind group. And I was trying to model his business, basically just rip off his entire business model <laughs> and, everything and, and duplicate it myself. And I, I, that's what I did. And he, but I saw the kind of servant leader that he was and that his people would follow him anywhere to do anything. And yeah. he was having, he, they would have parties and he would be handing out money. And in the, it's so much fun. Like you do, a, you do a deal, you get a transaction done, you can reach in the bag and grab out. Like there's like ones and fives and twenties and hundreds and there's a couple hundreds. People would go to the office and like pull these things. It's just, it was a fun place to work and be around. And he sure. was the kind of guy who was like, it's not about me. It's not about how much money I make. It's about you guys. It's about the team. It's about how what we do, what we all do. And I saw my dad do the same thing when I was a kid, just kind of letting us do our thing. And he would never say that you work for me. He said, you work with me. These, this is my staff. These are my, t-. He, he's like the, the people's leader, right? And I saw yeah. you do the same thing. So there's definitely a theme here where it comes to kind of who you want to be and what you want to do. And I think some of the most successful teams and businesses, it's all about the leader and the leadership and the aspects that they bring because people follow people. Right. Indeed. So, and I, I definitely agree with you. And you know, it's funny cause, uh, I hadn't really thought about, you know, obviously, I think any person you stick in the office of commanding officer is going to be different than his or her predecessor in some ways, right? And it, it, uh, based on what I'm hearing from you, it, uh, it, it seems that, that those are a little more obvious between uh, Bob and I. And again, not to, uh, certainly, you know, I give him all the credit because, man, standing up the squadron like that and getting something off the ground. And don't forget, he didn't have the... Um, he didn't have the time in the XO seat to figure out things and mm-hmm. have someone else kind of running the show and, and taking all the hits for getting stuff wrong. Uh, if there, if there were any wrongs, 
uh, before he got to roll in the skipper seat. So he, he was in a very unique position there. And I, again, I think he really kicked ass for the wing. Um, but uh, it was the fact that we were different, I think, can be useful too, right? Because, and that's, I, that's part of what I would say, I don't think the brilliance. Uh, I think that's a big benefit of the way things operate in the Navy and any service is that there's never any one person that's there so long that if they are a, a, having negative influences on that it just kills the organization, right? It, there, there's that constant rotation. Um, there's a lot of goods to it. There are many challenges for sure. Now, you know, changing bosses every three years, changing uh, mentalities, especially if for those who roll in and just change things completely, uh, that's, that, that takes time. It takes time for policy to set in um, or different approaches to problems to set in. So I think we, we, we observed it, both of us, Bob and I'm sure, and anyone, if they had their eyes open while they were jailed like you did, you saw that those were going to be things that you'd have to deal with if you were sitting in that seat. So, and hopefully you thought about it a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. So it gives you time to, as you say, think about it. And I, and I give credit to Bob for uh, coming up with some of the catchphrases for sure about, you know, wild cars never fold. Yeah. You know, those are, the, those are the little things. And, and he was very big on um, making sure everyone had a call sign, you know, which was mm-hmm. not, as uh, you probably know, it was not as much a big part of our Hilo community, especially non-carrier-based folks. <laughs> Some had call signs because they were natural. And other, we just, it was kind of, maybe you had one, maybe you didn't. But he really thought that that was a, a thing that would bring the wardroom and the squadron together. So he, he was looking for that kind of stuff. Those little things like you're talking about. So Yeah. No one was holding Bonsai's call sign back regardless of his yeah. community. I'll tell you that right now. So yeah. we, uh, you know, you, you mentioned something that I want to make sure that we kind of hammer home and deliver. And I think we already have, but the, the idea of making a big change and a bunch of changes right when you go in that seat. And you just said policy takes time and procedures take time to develop. And I think that's really important to emphasize in our business and the real estate flipping and wholesaling business that we do. It's so fast and it changes all the time. We're constantly innovating and the cheese is moving on a regular basis and we're always trying to do something new. So uh, I think it's a direct relation to the CEO COO relationship because when you bring in that COO, they want to make an impact. Like they really want to because they want to show you that their, their value and their worth and you might have a business that's operating perfectly and all you want to do is remove yourself and yeah. keep it running the way, the way that it is or running well. And that COO comes in, blows it up because he yeah. wants to make this huge change that they, like sometimes you don't need that. Yeah. And, and a lot of times what they need to do is they need to come in, they need to observe, they need to get, do some one-on-ones with some of the people and they need to determine what the best next move is. And then it's sure. a slow transition. So as a CEO, as the owner of that business, you got to give them the time to do that without being uh, micromanaging them and doing all that stuff. And as the COO, you got to realize that it's okay to take a little bit of time to get to know them and be strategic in the, some of the changes and decisions that you made, because you made some changes in the squadron and things like that, but it not really, um, it wasn't just a light switch on the day that you came in. It was over time. Let's make a couple tweaks and changes. Let's see what's working, what's not working. Um, And then even as people come in, you have new dynamic and new people, like you said, you're going to have to make some changes because the way that the structure is set up for these people is not the same way that you can deliver with different people. And that's what we saw. We we had a huge turnover in our company when my COO took over. And it, it, it's, for the better now, like our, our business is stronger and better. Like when you're talking about, I had the right people and everybody's, everybody's the right fit, the right seat, the right person. That's what I have right now. It's fantastic. But it took a long time. It took like almost a year and a half to get there. So it was, it was a slow process that you have to be somewhat cautious and, and, and patient with. 
So, yeah, and uh, so I'm thinking in terms of, you know, you're running a business and a lot of, most of your listeners are too. And, you know, what, what does that translate to, that patience that you talk about? Um, for you, for y'all, I think that translates to you might not pull in as much. You know, that's the bottom line. It affects the bottom line. And it would seem to me that that would take great patience, you know, when you're looking at your books. And if you, uh, I don't know if you have, you know, for those who have shareholders, I don't think maybe there's not a lot in your industry. I'm not sure. But for those that are looking at you, including yourself and going, hey, we didn't do well this year. Well, you know, how your measurement, your metrics for how, what is well and what is, what is good have to be able, have to be flexible enough to account for that risk that you're accepting by letting your team take time to develop. You know, it, 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 it's a natural thing and it will affect your bottom line. And I think for you all listening and for you, Bill, that's got to be tough, you know, to, to be able to accept that for, I don't know, years? Does it take years to get your team right? I, I, I don't know the answer to that. But it, it seems to be something that has to be on your mind and, and you've got to be able, willing to accept to get there. Yeah, you, you nailed it right there because I, I remember Nate came in and we structured his uh, the discussion around his bonus structure was based on how I did the year before on the net profit, right? Sure. So like sure. how much money did the business and me make? And, and I, my expectation is when you come in, you're going to be measured off of how much better we do than I sure. did myself. So the, the interesting thing for me was that's Nate's mind, his, his mindset and his, what he's thinking when he comes into the company. So three years or three months to six months down the road, He's not hitting the metrics and those numbers on the net that we were hitting before, but I'm not working 60 to 80 hours a week in the business anymore. I'm working like 10 or 15. Right. And so, but that wasn't in the metric. Nope. So he's, so we're both kind of driven people. Uh, he, so, so, you know, Greg, he's a, he's a prior, um, uh, police officer. So he's got some, he wasn't a military guy, but, uh, kind of like a high level police officer in some, uh, worked as an executive for Nissan, did, um, a lot of loss mitigation for them, saving millions of dollars, stuff like that. And so, so when he came over with me, he, he kind of looked at me and he was, I could just tell like something was off. He was, he was worried about how he was doing. And I said, man, hey, yeah. you're, you're doing great. Like you're, do, you're doing great. But I went from making, I, I probably made 25% of the money that I made the year before That's no that kidding. first year with him. So I dropped my sal my, my pay went down almost four times. Wow. So, but my time freedom yeah. Went at the, but at, after six months, I was out of that company yeah. and my wow. paycheck came every Friday and I was, awesome. I wasn't having to deal with all of the problems and all the things. And I, I was, I was, ba it was basically like an investment at that point. Yeah. So of course. I could be a, an advisor. I could be the person that goes to, and it, it did, I wasn't completely out in six months, but what he didn't realize was what was more important to me, the money or my time. And because yeah. the metric wasn't my time that we talked about and he wasn't bonused off of my time. He was bonused right. off of that. And so it's interesting when you think about it. And as, as we were sitting down, we spent the whole day here yesterday at my house in Nashville and we were coming up with this, this model for this event that we're doing, this two day event. And we're figuring yeah. out what to talk about and exactly what to put in that, that whole story came up and him and I talked about it for a while. <laughs> and we said, it's important that when you bring somebody in like that, that they understand what the goal is here. And yep. is it because for me, my journey in this real estate investment business was make more money. Then it was, it turned into, it morphed into get more time back with my family. 
Sure. And, and now it's turned into an impact. I want to make an impact on my staff and my people and everybody that's listening to this and everybody that comes into our world in the, in the mastermind group. So sure. that, that transition for me, I had no idea that when I wanted to make more money that I was ever going to transition to this impact thing because yeah. the first conversation that I ever had with Andy McFarlane was, I don't, I don't want to hire anybody. I just want to do it myself. I'm afraid yeah. of it. I, I don't want to yes. be responsible for put food on other people's table. I don't want to be responsible for their families. I'm scared. And now it's, it's like, can I hire somebody to do this, this, and this? Yes. <laughs> what else can I hire somebody to do? And I, it's, it's become something that I get the most joy now out of seeing the people that are in my company making more money than they ever thought that they could make, hitting, yeah. hitting goals that they never thought were possible. I've got my, uh, my videographer, I just posted in our mastermind group, my videographer, Andre, who does all of our videos. He, yeah. he edits these things, guys. He puts all the stuff on the front and the back. He's an awesome, awesome person, an incredible uh, uh, staff member. And he, he wants to lose weight. And I was, I was up a, year, a, little, a little over a year and a half ago. I was up to 180 pounds. I lost 35 pounds in like six, wow. eight months because I was not focused. I was focused on building a business, not focused on myself and my health. And he's there right now. And so, I, you know, I'm, him and I are working out in the gym every morning. Nice. He's, he's, I challenged him to lose 15% uh, of his body fat. I'm going to do the same thing over the next 90 days. And yeah. we're in a race. And if he, if he does it, if he loses 15% <laughs> of his body, body fat, I'm going to pay for his nutrition coaching that we're both doing right now. So Very nice. it's like, <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that like drives me now at where that's before good. it was, I'm, I'm not going to pay for somebody else's stuff. I got to, I got to take care of my family. I got to take care of myself. I got to make sure yeah. that, we're, that we can pay our mortgage. And so it's a, it's a really cool transition when you see kind of your journey, but you have to bring the other people in on that. Like you have to communicate that to the other people. And I think that's the lesson yeah. here. Instead of just saying, this is your metric. Like you said, yep. uh, if, if you hit it or don't hit it, but there's so many other things that go into that and you've got to be ready and willing to watch, watch it drop in order for it to take off because it's not going to take off without, sometimes you have to take a step back to take two steps forward in business, in life, in, in the military and everything that you're doing. So um, I see it time in and time out, but I think the, the biggest thing is like knowing, just realizing what's happening. And that, that's kind of the, it seems to be the moral of this conversation is If, if you just, if you don't think strategically long-term and you're just making short-term decisions in what's happening right now, then you're, you're going to have a problem going forward. You're going to constantly be stuck in the kind of hamster wheel, making these, these mistakes over and over and over again, instead of thinking like looking out, like you said that you guys were doing in the front office of that squadron. Yeah. And there's risks with either approach, right? Um, So that's something I think, and you clearly have done it is you thought, you, like Skipper Weisenfels, uh, are looking at the long ball. And I think that's strategic, uh, you know, where we're going in the future and what I want to do. And by the way, I would say you mentioned the three different phases, if you will. I want to make money, I want to spend more time with my family, and then uh, have a, a positive impact. I don't know that they're mutually exclusive either, Bill. I mean, um, I'm hoping you're still you know, doing well financially. I, it sure it would uh, make sense. And uh, obviously, you're spending more time with your family, right? Three kids now? I have three kids. Yeah. Five, uh, three, well, our middle son, James just turned three. And then Lucas is, uh, just over a year and a half. He's like 20 months old. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's nuts. And I have a daughter going to college now. So, I mean, good Lord. She was, uh, barely in, in uh, geez, she was a peanut when, uh, we were just going together. But no, my point is, I think that those three things don't have to be exclusive. You probably get that already, but it's worth mentioning. I mean, you can, maybe you don't focus on making money anymore, but, 
hey, if that's a, a byproduct of, you know, being the person that empowers your employees, empowers, you know, them to do better and to become your replacement someday, then by God, why not reap the benefit of it? You know, that's, I think that's a natural, uh, a fortunate byproduct if you can get that done. And uh, those things have a lasting effect. I mean, yeah, there's no I, question about it. I feel, I feel like it is that you're exactly right. They're not mutually exclusive, but I, I think it's kind of like that hierarchy of needs, right? You, you can't, you can't yeah. necessarily, I guess you could start by making an impact when you're totally broke and can't pay for, like you're living in your truck, but yeah. you know, you really got to take care of yourself. Then you, it's that, it's that oxygen mask, right? You got to put your oxygen mask on first, then right. you can start supporting other people. And for me, it was, it, it, right. It's just kind of, I'm taking those other two with me. I'm taking my time and I'm taking the money and I'm making, trying to make an impact. But sure. when, when you can, when you can have the ability to start making an impact and you start thinking about others before yourself, all of that stuff comes with it. Like, oh yeah. Your staff wants, like your staff would work on a weekend because if you asked them to, because of who you were and the leader that you were and, right. and they're doing that stuff because they, they want to do it and, and they're jumping in and they're pitching in to allow you to go do like my, my team, they know that I work two hours a week. They sure. love what they do. They want to be a part of it. They also know that I make pretty good money and right. they, they're, they're perfectly okay. willing and, and, and ready to do it. And they love it. And they're, they're coming along this journey with me. They're being a part of it. I mean, and sure. I'll tell you what, when you, when you do those kind of things for your team, if you're listening to this and you're not taking care of your people, your people are not going to be around for very long. They're going to be on Indeed. They're probably on Indeed right now looking for another job. You don't even know. Like you don't know what they're doing. And I want people who, who you, you come to my team, my competitors, anybody who's listening, who's in our markets, you come to my staff and say, hey, I'll pay you twice as much money to come work for me. My goal is to, is to figure out how to make them, stand, get them to want to stay and say no to that. Say, I would never leave here. I, I'm not going to come work for you. I want to work for Bill. And it, because of the things that we're doing, I mean, I spend time uh, once a month with them talking about their finances, their personal finances, investments, nice. um, IRAs and 401ks, uh, like all of the things that I've learned and taught myself and, and no, I'm not a CPA, I'm not a, 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 a an attorney, any of these things. But <laughs> I, I know that, hey, this is, this is the kind of books that I read. These are the things that I've learned. These are the things that my dad taught me when I was younger that yeah. you might not have the same, uh, the idea about money. You might actually hate, not like money. You might've been brought up in a, in a, um, in a, in a spending household instead of a saving household. So talk about all that stuff. And I give, it's not mandatory. I give him the opportunity to jump on because I saw Andy do that. And I said, wow, he's making an impact on a few people right now and he's changing their lives. And so now I saw him do that. I want, I want to do it myself. I want to do it a little better. I want to figure out how to make it my way. And I, and it's those little things that we do in our business that people will want to stay. They're not going to leave and they they want to stay for that. And and sometimes it's the pat on the back. It's not the paycheck. It's the emotional paycheck that you pay to them that keep people to stay. And I think that's, I think that's what you did really, really well. You talked about it and somebody else, you know, kind of showed you the way you started doing it. And you've passed that down to so many people that came that were in that squadron then that are now CEOs of their own. Yeah. They've grown uh, to make 05, 06, becoming CEOs now. All of us junior JOs are around that time now. Or running successful businesses. <laughs> or, or running successful businesses. But, uh, you know, it's, it's really cool to see just how this stuff translates from the military and where we are to now wh- where we're going. And sure. it, it really, it's not, it, it, the fundamentals 
are the same across the board. And mm-hmm. do you see that now outside of the military, now that you're working in the civil, you still work at the government contracting world. So a lot of previous military people and things like that, but True. It's, it's definitely a different world. Do you see that kind of stuff when you're hiring, when you're training people, when you're bringing them on kind of more about the people and it is about the resumes and things like that? And yeah, yeah. The short answer is yes. And I think uh, it's, a good for me to point out here then you know the guy that hired me like i i, I can't remember if we t- it was before we started recording or not bill but the guy that hired me um he hires uh i i you know to give a balance i'll say it's it's about half resume and and maybe 80 percent feel you know if you're sitting in front of the guy and you know one of his favorite questions on the, uh, his interviews that i've seen him do now and he probably did to me was uh, what's your favorite movie or what's the better movie you know is it guardians of the galaxy one or two you know, and, and I don't know that it matters which one you answer, but, you know, your ability to just kind of roll with that and, and not be too surprised and, and, and be chill and realize you're just having a conversation with this guy that could be hiring you. Uh, that matters to him. You know, he needs to be able to work with you and be around you. You know, it doesn't matter how good you are. All, it's not all that. I mean, you may be the best programmer. We hire a lot of, you know, techies here, self-proclaimed nerds. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Um, uh, they wear that badge with honor. And, rightfully so but we he hires a lot of them and you know if if they if all they can do is sit in front of a computer and just punch code in and make these things work that's that's helpful but it's not exactly what he's looking for he's looking for someone who you can have a conversation with who can you know you can uh, maybe push back a little bit on you you know has a lot of these uh, we, as we say soft skills you know that are so popular nowadays you know the uh, intelligence or the uh, emotional quotient kind of thing like are you going to be able to work function with the team and walk in and have a coffee with them or whatever, or share a beer at times, you know, um, that's important to him. And I think that that, it sounds to me like that's what you're looking for too in your team members. And it's, uh, that's important. I, I think uh, when I was transitioning, I had been for 28 years and I recognized I attended all the transition classes I could though. You know, they were, they're available. Some of them were pretty cheesy. And unfortunately, it was just a bunch of PowerPoint slides. But again, it gave me time to sit down and think about what was going to, about to happen. <clears throat> and I recognize a lot of people are saying, you know, your military skills or experiences aren't going to translate for a lot of people that have never been in the military. They're, they're, they will not be able to just make an assumption that you have certain qualities that will play very well for them. And even if you aren't as technically inclined as those that they're looking to hire, right? And uh, I took that to heart and I tried my best to be able to express what I might be able to bring to the table in any um, leadership position, because that's really what I was looking for, you know, kind of management or, or program management, helping in that regard with the people and, the, and so on. I tried to understand how I could express that to, to folks who just hadn't had that. And yeah, I'm with a, a Department of Navy organization, but it's definitely not military. I mean, there's very few uniforms here and a lot of people that are here haven't served either. Um, but we, those of us who had served, we do bring something now, like try to understand how an organization should be structured a little bit. And it won't be the strict C2 or, or command and control charts that you and I were used to while we're in at all. They tend to shy away from that here, actually. Uh, they like a very flat organization where people can, everyone can talk to each other and, and uh, collaborate and so on, which is extremely useful. But I, you know, we, those of us who've been in, we sit and we talk and we, uh, we think there's kind of a hybrid. You know, there's got to be someone who, our boss now, he's super busy, like many listeners. Uh, he, can't, he can't 
in our opinion, he couldn't necessarily run that whole organization very flat like he used to. And it was going to require a little bit of that of what we had experienced. He was resistant to it. And I think, you know, he's trying it out now. He's made a few changes, like drawing in more of an org chart, if you will. Mm -hmm. And we'll see. I mean, we like to think that, that it'll work well, those of us who pushed for it. I think he's, you know, he's, he seems to be happy with it right now. And I think that's the kind of thing we can bring to the fight, if you will, bring to the, bring to the organization is we know that these things work in certain circumstances. I don't think we are as, uh, as, as hospital corner, as, uh, how should we say, up, uptight, as a lot of people think we are, uh, having served in the military, right? The, uh, the impression I got a lot of times was, you know, hey, you were in the military, it was just yes or no, sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am, and that's it. And there was no personality, if you will. No room for, you know, that kind of emotional support or however you want to say it, uh, understanding the people that you're working with. Well, clearly there is. Clearly there is. And, and in fact, I would suggest that, especially in the military the last two decades or so, that that's, that, that has been a point of, <clears throat> of change. You know, we've really impressed that, you know, every sailor is a person, uh, translated to your own service, but... It's much more about, hey, you know, you know, how many suicide prevention, um, even before you got out, suicide prevention briefs did you have to sit through? You know, and at some point they become mundane, but the point is that we're focused there now. We're focused mm -hmm. on the individuals, you know, and I, and I love that, that that was a change, you know, for any of the faults that we do have as a service. I, I think that that's, it was a brilliant change, and I don't know who's responsible for it, but to me it was good to see, you know, you work with other sailors, not just other trigger pullers or, or, or hammer holders or whatever the case may be. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, you know, it's, you said a lot of things there about hiring for the, the person a little bit more than the resume from time to time for at least the guy that, uh, that you're working with now. And yes. I think, you know, for us is the same way. And we did, we, we talked about it before, uh, before the call, but I, uh, I, I, I look at the person. And I always have. I didn't realize it until recently when we sat down and said, what is our actual process, you know? Because I remember, I, I don't even really know how to read a resume, frankly. Like, I get it, but I look for gaps. If there's somebody who is working somewhere for six months at a time, nonstop, something's going yeah. on. Or there's huge gaps in the resume or something like that. But, or or there, there's a gap and they're, they're leaving something out. There's definitely a job there yeah. that they haven't, haven't put on there or, or they're not even in the field at all. If I'm hiring a salesperson and they have no previous sales experience, I'm likely not going to hire them for my company sure. sales. It's just, there the way it is. so there's a couple things that are going to get you in the door. These are kind of the pay to play type items, but then it's more about who you are. Like you said, how do you fit in with not just me as the owner, but the team? How is this person going to resonate, resonate with the team? Because we, we are a very close-knit team. We, I don't have 500 employees. I've got 15 people. So it, it, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb if you're not an A player around my A players. So uh, I'm not bringing in the JV player to my, to my uh, professional uh, sports right. team, right? So exactly. you really got to think about that stuff and how, they're gonna, how, how everybody's going to be. So it, right, what we have right now set up is that basically my department head, so my chief marketing officer, my sales manager, or whoever yeah. is doing the hiring is going to bring that person interview that person, then the COO is going to interview him. And then I'm going to get that last kind of, and sometimes it depends on who it is. If it's yes. somebody who's going to be answering our phones and I, I, I don't typically talk to them before they hire them, they can hire them. But sure. you know, if it's going to be a big hire that we have, like uh, our you know, CFO that we, that we hire, it's, yeah, I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to figure out yep. who they are and I'm going to see if they have, we share the same values. And for us, Nate, Nate and I did a presentation at our at event in San Diego and we put it on the podcast. So you guys, if you listen all the time, you've heard it, but that's kind of our process. It's personality. It's a little bit of resume. And then it's more about the core values and finding yeah. them. 
because that's like, like we've been talking about, I think that's the kind of thread here is it's about that culture. And, and that's, and, and when we're talking about leadership, we, we set and develop that culture. Like it's our responsibility to set that culture. That's really a big part, isn't it? Yeah. We we set the tone. I mean, if we could wrap this, this whole hour conversation up, it's setting the tone as a leader for the culture of your, your organization, whether it be the military, whether it be business, whether it be our family, whether it be our, our group and circle of friends, if we're going to lead those people, whether it's our sports teams, whatever it is, it's like, we're bringing that value to the marketplace. And I think, I I don't know if that's what the, um, like the, the tap classes are and the transition classes are, I think I need to start a new class and, and figure out how to bring people in and say, you are the superior applicant on any job uh, interview, any application you need to go in with, with a lot of confidence because you leaving the military and going out to the workforce, you're bringing a ton of value that some yeah. people, if they, if they can't see it, you got to show it to them because we That's really, right. I think that the leadership aspect that we bring it, we don't think it's a big deal. We don't hold it up really high. We, we actually don't even know that we do it. So my whole goal in this, this kind of conversation with you is to show everyone that listens who was either in or hasn't ever been in the military or served anything is how, how to take these kind of concepts and ideas and, and apply them to your life and your business. Because yeah. there's a lot of things and w- it's not really in your face that we're being taught this. We're just picking it up from the other people that have come before us. Agreed. Agreed. And, and you can learn this stuff. You can teach yourself, you can read books, you can develop these kind of uh, values and things like that, but you got to surround yourself with the right people. And if you're not in the military, you, you have to work a lot harder a lot of times to make sure that you're in those right circles. You're those average of the five people that you spend the most time with, all of those different sayings that you guys have heard if you're in this real estate world and anywhere else, frankly. But really, really, life by design. Design your life. Design the people that you surround yourself with so that you can become a better person, a better leader, a better father, a better husband, a better wife, a better spouse, a better follower of God, any of those things that, that applies to you to, to make sure that you're putting yourself in the right situations. And I'm thankful that my dad pushed me in the military. I'm thankful that I, I said, okay, I'll do it. I got commissioned. Yeah. I'm thankful that I've got, I got put in San Diego. I'm thankful that I was you know, placed under your guys' leadership, you and Commander Weisenfels and, and Commander Dowling and everybody that came after you guys and yeah. all of the leaders. Uh, I mean, Commander McGuire was just a phenomenal leader at my VT squadron. I have been so blessed to be in front of so many incredible leaders over my years in the military and seeing, also seeing what I don't want to be. And you guys have to make the decision of of who you're going to spend time with. So, um, well, I thank you for coming on with me. Uh, This was, this was probably my favorite interview to date in in case you're keeping score. I know you're a very competitive guy too, Um, but (laughs) Um, this, this really was something very different than anything that I've done before. And I really, I really enjoyed it. And you have a plaque behind you, which I yeah, think I is very, if you guys can see it, if you're watching YouTube or you're, you're on the video and if you're not, you should go check out YouTube because we're two very good looking guys. And <laughs> at least one of us, but, uh, back there it's the, that's our HSC 23 plaque and, um, it's got the coin, it's got the the uh, patch above it and it's got uh, MH60 Sierra, our painted aircraft and you even have the cards up there. So I've got mine hanging on the wall too. And it's just, you've been in so many different squadrons. You've been so many different places. And to think that that is the one that's hanging right behind you in the office on this video is really cool. I don't know if you, you just snuck it up there cause you knew you were going to be talking to me, but no, 
So, well, no, it was there, but I will say I shamelessly placed my camera so that we could, we could see that today, but I will say so that. It's, it's obvious that that one means a lot to you, and it I know does. it means a lot to me, and I've got mine hanging right here of a, a MH60 Sierra vert repin um, off the back of a, a aircraft carrier, which is awesome that I got to it's do something one of those that, deployments. Uh, very few get the opportunity to do, um, I think, while you were there, and I certainly while I was I think every squadron, one of the things I would always do is pull jails like yourself. I don't know if I did this with you or not. I imagine I did. I would pull them on the rail and say, look, look down at that hangar and look at those people doing those things to that aircraft and realize that this will end soon. And you just got to take five minutes, once a week, whatever, make sure you do it and just look at it. Because three years from now, maybe you'll be selling homes in Pensacola, buying homes in Pensacola, and that's fine. But uh, you don't want to forget this because damn, this is, this is some good stuff and uh, yeah. we're, we're, we're privileged to be here. So, you know, you're right. And if I had thought that my last vert rep uh, flight was going to be my last vert rep flight, I, yeah. I probably would have done just a, a couple probably of, a, a few more aggressive side flares than I did. But it, you know, and you're right because I, I know that pretty soon in the next couple of years, I'm going to have to hang up the pajamas and I don't want to do it. And yeah. My wife is constantly telling me, you know, you're gone for 60 days out of the year. You're not home very much. I travel. I even travel for this job. It's really hard sure. for me to be away from the family like that. And, sure. uh, and living in Nashville and having to go to Pensacola to, uh, to fly is, uh, is a challenge sometimes. And I know that I'm going to have to hang it up, but I'm holding on to it because I love it. And it's really yeah. hard to let go, you know? So, yeah, of course. Um, so I, I would be remiss if we didn't um, mention uh, we had a tragedy in our squadron yep. while we were there. Yep. We had a really big, this is a really big thing that happened. Uh, we, we lost an aircraft and we lost four incredible Americans. And um, if we can, I'd like to dedicate this podcast to them. Um, so Bullet One Zero was a helicopter that we had in San Diego. And um, Commander Weisenfels was the CO at the time. Uh, you were the XO, is that right? It was the, That's correct. And we had just basically just started up the squadron. So in, in all of this, you guys heard all of this discussion that we had about how incredible of a squadron we had, how we all pulled together. And this was on top of one of the worst tragedies that had happened in San Diego during, it was during a training mission. We lost a, a helicopter in the water, four people. So Adam Dyer, Laura Mankey, Christopher Will, and uh, Corey Hellman. And yeah. it was just uh, devastating for us. And I remember exactly where I was when I got the call uh, that, uh, that everything had happened um, and what, what was going on. So um, we, I, I feel like, it, you know, losing uh, two, two, um, two officers, two enlisted air crewmen, uh, it's just, uh, it was something that you would think that we, nobody could recover from. And we'll always remember them. We'll never forget them and their families. Yeah. And I, you know, I was just able to see Caitlin, uh, like, uh, this no year. Kidding. Yep. and, uh, I was over at the Tui's for, um, uh, for a party and everything. So nice. There's, and it's, it's just, we, we have this like tight knit community and we become tighter because of a tragedy, which is yeah. really hard. And it's not the only one it's, this happens in the military. We have uh, class alpha mishaps and we lose people and we lose health. And there's, there's a lot of people that are in my logbook that, um, that are no longer with us in, yep. in aircraft crashes. So, um, it's really, really hard, but, um, so anyway, I'd like to dedicate this podcast to bullet one zero and I'll just tell all of you guys. And if, if any of you listen, any of the old wild cards or the current wild cards, I'm going to post this on my Facebook page. So I hope you Please. guys, have it. um, let's just, you know, uh, tip a glass tonight to, to bullet one zero. And, um, and I'm always thinking about you guys, everybody's in our prayers, all of their families. And, um, and I love all of my wildcard family. It's it a great time. And I've never, <laughs> I've never been in a better squadron and I'll never 
be around a, a, a better group of people. Uh, That's so, the truth. So. That's the truth. Well, well it's, Skipper. Been, it's been a pleasure, Bill. Um, yeah, appreciate that. No, uh, hey, look, one last thing. I hope I'm not going too far by saying uh, I'm very proud of you. Um, you you've, uh, you've done some incredible things. You're still doing some incredible things in the Navy, but uh, I'm really proud that, uh, of what you've done with yourself and running, and running the business that you're running. And, uh, and I'm sure the people that work with you uh, are very happy to be working with you. And that's, uh, that's a tribute to who you are, Bill. Well, so, I appreciate it. it. I appreciate it. And I, I'm, I, 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 thank you very much. It's hard. I got to learn how to take a compliment and uh, better. That's, that's what I'm working on right now, but <laughs> it, it really is. It's, it's a testament to all the people that have, that have molded me into who I am. And now it's, I'm really focused, like highly focused and on, on figuring out how to help other people get to that same level. So, um, so thank you so much. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And, um, uh, hopefully, uh, Lisa and Julia are doing good. So, uh, they're doing very well. Thanks. That's I'm awesome. sure the same with your family. Yeah. Yep. Tell them I said hi and, uh, cool. I appreciate you coming on and doing something completely out of, uh, out of the norm for you on a, no on a work day, no less. So I hope you're okay. So, all right. I think my boss will forgive me. All right, Skipper. <laughs> thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the seven figure flipping podcast with Bill Allen. If you want to grow and scale your house flipping or wholesaling business, check out more insider tips and strategies from the nation's most successful real estate investors at sevenfigureflipping.com.